today we are a little bit different. Have you, did you notice the decorations? What's going on this week? Okay, good. If you didn't know, it's Vacation Bible School, VBS, all right? And so we're excited about that. This is one of the, the great weeks of the, the year for our church. Well, we as a church, we come together, we work together, and we get to interact with children from the, the area, and we get to interact with new families. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have not signed up already, you're welcome to sign up out in the foyer. Um, we will be starting tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And so if you're going to be a volunteer and helping us out, if you can come in earlier at 530, we ask the volunteers to be in place. If you can get here. Whenever you can get here, we want to use you. We want to get you in a place where you can actually interact with people. And so um, if you can get here, we would love to have you be a part. All right. Are there such things as good sins? Good sins. It's kind of one of those oxymorons. You can't really say that, right? I mean, a sin is something considered bad. So how are we saying good sins? Well, here's what's going to happen. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking this series about good sins. And what I am meaning by this is that it's the sins that you and I become okay with. The sins that we think, well, they're really not that big a deal. It's just normal. Everybody does it. It's okay. So it's a sin that we become so okay with that we consider it now to be necessary. It's something that I just have to do. Everybody else is doing it. It's just part of who I am. So over the next couple of weeks, as we begin to walk through this series, here's your temptation. I'm going to give you it right up front. Your temptation is going to be this. Man, I'm really glad so-and-so's here. Your temptation is going to be to look across the room and say, I'm really glad they're here. You're going to want to point it out to everybody else. And you might even want to buy the CD so you can give it to somebody else at work. Or you're, but I want to challenge you. Here's where it has to go. It has to start with, you. It's David's prayer in Psalm 139, create in me a clean heart. But he says, first, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me, not in somebody else. So here's the challenge you're going to have to start off with. You're going to have to start off with the idea that maybe just maybe it's not about everybody else, but maybe it's about me first. Is that fair? So the challenge is going to be to look towards your heart first. And the problem with our heart is this. Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked and they're deceitful and they deceive our own selves. And the reality is this. There's nobody who's lied to you more than you yourself. You constantly lie to yourself. And so I want to challenge you to go towards your heart, look inward and see what God is asking you to do first and foremost. Now, as we get started, as we go into the summer, I want to give you a challenge this year uh, for the summer. Here's the, the summer challenge. The summer challenge is this, to read 27 books of the New Testament, to read the New Testament in 90 days. Have you ever read the New Testament in 90 days? You can do it. It's very easy. Matter of fact, it's only three chapters a day. So in less than about 20 minutes a day, depending on how fast you read, you can read the entire New Testament in 90 days. For some, if you read faster, you can actually read it in about 10 minutes to 15 minutes. Three chapters. Three chapters a day, reading through the New Testament in 90 days. Here's why it's the challenge. Because I believe at the core of who you are, the reason you're here is that you want your faith to grow. Am I right? It's a great assumption. You want your faith to grow. You're wanting something to happen inside of you. You're wanting to be closer to God or you wouldn't be here. Well, maybe you're here just because your, your spouse drug you here, so I'm glad your spouse drug you here, and I'm glad you're here. But just hang out for just a minute. More than likely, you actually want to be closer to God. 
It's, a, it's an easy assumption. But here's what the Word of God tells us. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want your faith to grow, you must get into God's Word. And so the challenge this summer is this. Let's get into God's word. As a church, let's move into God's word and spend a few moments each day. So in 90 days going through the New Testament, you can do this. Now, some of you are going, well, I'm not a very good reader. Isn't this an amazing time to live? We live in a day and age where you can actually put the Bible on your MP3 player and you can listen to the Bible. You have Bible on CD now. Matter of fact, a few weeks ago, I knew I was going to be doing a lot of driving around. And you know what I did? I said, this week, I want to listen to the uh, the New Testament. So I started listening. And in one week's time, in all the driving here in Dallas-Fort Worth, I listened to the entire New Testament. You can do it. Just start listening to it. You can put it in. Maybe for some of you, you're going, Heath, you know, know, come on, Pastor. I've just, you know, it's hard to read the King James Version. Okay, if that's your problem, it is, it is poetic, and I love the King James Version, and I love how poetic it is. But it can be hard if you're trying to just read through. So here's what I want to challenge you. I don't care what version you get, as long as it's not a satanic Bible. Get a Bible, the message, the NIV, I don't care, the New Living Translation. Whatever Bible that you can read and read through it. Matter of fact, for your kids. Your kids can be taking the challenge as well. I have right now, um, my son, who is, um, he's just finished first grade. He actually has a comic book Bible. Have you ever seen these? My son, he, he was loving the comic books, right? So he's, he'd always read the comic books. And, and so we got him this comic book Bible. And every night before he goes to bed, he, sees, he turns on his little lamp in first grade, and he reads for five minutes out of his comic book Bible. You're my third grade daughter. She has a, a new living translation. I bought that for her because I think it's an easy read for kids. She's in third grade. She turns on the lamp and she reads for five minutes and she reads and she marks her place. So she's going through the New Testament. So here's what I want to challenge you. It doesn't matter what age. And if your kids are too young, you get one of those little kid children's Bible and you help them read through the Bible, work through it. I'll, I'll even point you to the resources. So here's the challenge. If you are willing to take the challenge, I've spent enough time kind of trying to help maybe get you interested in it. I want you to take your card right now, take your connection card, and I want you to write your name on it, and I want you to say, I'm gonna take the challenge. I'm gonna read the New Testament this summer. You have any other books that you're doing? Take your cards. I've seen like two people. Come on, guys. You want your faith to grow? It's not gonna be, I can't spoon feed you all the time. At some point, you have to make the step where you have to begin to feed yourself. And that's you getting into the word of God and you saying, okay, I'm gonna do my best to read three chapters a day. And what we'll do is this. Out in the foyer, you um, have this little sheet. It has three chapters a day. You can just put a check mark so you can kind of follow along with where you're at. Maybe you wanna use a Bible app. Um, the, um, there's Bible apps out there that I use as well that are very good. Maybe you just wanna download it on your own at, when you get home. You're welcome to do that as well. But I want to encourage you today, take the challenge and say over the next few weeks, what happens, pastor, if, you know, if I only read half? Well, I'll say this. Praise the Lord. You at least read some of the Bible this summer. Yes. I'm really glad that you got in there some way, somehow. So whatever you can do, three chapters a day, maybe it's a chapter a day, get in there and let's say, hey, I'm gonna take the challenge. I'm gonna do my best to read God's word and get into God's word this summer. All right, so we have your Bibles. Would you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20? Genesis chapter 20. All right, so here's what we're talking about today. The title of this message is this, White Lies. 
White lies. Have you ever told a white lie? I mean, it's one of those easy little lies, the lies that really don't count for anything. You know, somebody tells you, ask you how you're doing, and you say, yeah, I'm doing fine, when really your world's falling apart. Or maybe it's those white lies that, you know, you just take things from the office. You print too many copies, you're printing copies for yourself, and you don't reimburse your work. Or maybe you take your friend out to eat on your boss, on the company, and you really weren't supposed to be doing that. What are those things that you do? The white lies. Honey, do I look good in this dress? Hello. That's just a no-win situation, right? So what do you do? What do you do with these white lies, these positions that you get yourself into, where you feel like you need to tell a lie in order to get out of it? How often do you tell these lies? Now, let's just, let's just put it at ease. Ladies, you ready? How many lies do you think you tell per day? Think through it. How many lies do you think you tell per day? Researchers come out and they've said this, that ladies on average tell three lies per day. At least three lies per day. Now, some of you are going, there's no way. I'm talking the little lies, uh, all those different things that you say to people, three, at least three. Now, men, what do you think you, you do? Do you think you're above that or below that? How many men say you're below the three? Raise your hand, all right? How many men say the men are above that? Raise your hand. All right, you ready, ladies? Listen to this. Men, on average, tell six lies per day. Oh, <laughs> you're clapping. <laughs> did not expect that one. That was funny. The ladies are all excited. Yes. Our husbands are liars. <laughs> that was really funny. That makes me laugh. Okay. So, <laughs> so here's what we got. So we either men, you tell six lies per day. So maybe that's you bragging about how good you really were in, in high school sports. Or maybe what you, what kind of golf game you played this past weekend. You just kind of expand the truth, right? Or maybe it's that business deal that maybe you cut the corners on. I remember talking to one of the, some Christian men as we were talking about a business deal and it was a talking about land. And they were so excited because in this business deal, they, they, talked, they negotiated the land down and they negotiated the land down to a, a certain price per square foot, okay? And it was a business deal, so per square foot. And as they talked it down and brought it down, they got it down and they were really excited because they got it down to it. And what they did is in the end, when they finally came to sign the papers, they actually revealed that part of that section had already been confiscated by the city to put a new road in. So it dropped the price. And I'm sitting here going, guys, are you Christians? This guy, you were talking about church. You were talking about God. And do you think that other guy was mad? Oh yeah, he was hot. They lost the opportunity because of the, the scheming. And, and yet they were extremely proud of how they cut the corner. So here's the question. Where do you lie? How often do you lie? Maybe where are you most tempted to tell lies? Genesis chapter 20. You have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Genesis chapter 20. We're going to be reading about a man who many of us know. His name is Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of the Hebrew people. The father of faith, actually. He's also called as well. Genesis chapter 20, go to verse 1, and here's what it says. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace, your mercy. 
how amazing it is together with other believers to sing and worship you, to hear songs that speak deeply into our souls. We want to say thank you for our musicians and their talent and their ability. God, as now we come to this place, we're asking for there to be a freedom of your Holy Spirit to speak, to move, to interact. God, give us ears to hear. We want to hear from you. So God, I pray that you would give me the words to say. I pray that you would use my mouth as your tool and as your instrument so that, God, we would hear from you today. And we'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so here's what we have. We have an, an incredible story, a story of Abraham who's considered to be a man of faith, and yet he In this scripture right here, he says that my wife is my sister. He's not claiming her as his wife. And so the question becomes, why is he telling this lie? It's a half lie. It's a half truth. His sister, his wife is actually his half sister and he did marry her, but he's going to present her in a different way and presenting a half truth. Now here's the question. Here's the problem. Every one of us in this room, we know, we know without a shadow of a doubt that lying's wrong. We know it's wrong. We know that God hates, in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22, that the lying lips are an abomination to God. We know that, and yet we still, in our minds, for some reason, we excuse ourselves and we think it's okay to sin. This is a good sin. We're not going to lie. We can lie, and it's okay. You come to verses such as Revelation chapter 21. And in our minds, what we do is this. We, we kind of begin to put different sins on a different level. And we begin to say, well, murder, that's really bad. And yet, lying, that's not really that bad. And then you come to a verse such as Revelation chapter 21, and here's what it says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolatry, and then it says this, and all liars. Listen to what he says. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Is that not a strange statement? Because in our minds, we really do put lying as not that big a deal. It's just a white lie. It's just a simple thing. And yet God in Revelation chapter 21 puts it in the same category. And he says, if this is who you are, you're a habitual liar, you're consistent with it. He said, there's a problem. There's a big problem. Are you tracking with this? So here we come to Genesis chapter 20. And as we get to Genesis chapter 20, we find a man who's considered a godly man. Hebrews chapter 11 puts him in the hall of faith. That hall of fame chapter that says, this is a man who, who is marked by having faith. Do you remember what Abraham did? Abraham was the man who took his son, Isaac, and he offered him as a sacrifice, right? But yet God said, you were willing to give your son and you even believed that I would raise him up. What incredible faith. I can't imagine having the faith to offer my son, can you? And that God would actually raise him back alive. And yet this is the man. And here in chapter 20, we get to this point where what's causing Abraham to be at this point where he feels like he has to lie? Let me do some work for you. Go back a couple of chapters. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. This is an interesting, interesting time period. 
Remember, God has called Abraham out of his country to go into a foreign country, the promised land, a land that he's going to give Abraham and all of his descendants. So Abraham travels over to this new land and there's now a, his, one of his relatives, Lot, has traveled with him and Abraham and Lot decide to split and they go separate ways. And Lot chooses a, a land and it has a valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot goes down there and he goes to those cities and as Abraham's out journeying, there's angels that come and the angels come and tell Abraham, God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now think about this. Abraham hears it and he goes out on the side of the mountain and he begins to interact with God. And he begins to interact with God in such a way that not only has he heard God say, come over to this new land, but now he's able to talk to God and he's asking God, God, would you please spare the cities, Sodom and Gomorrah? And I want to show you this because I find this fascinating. I would say at this point, Abraham's faith and his interaction with God and his relationship with God is very strong. Can you imagine negotiating with God? God says, I'm fixing to destroy two cities. And here comes Abraham. He says, okay, God, hey, if if there's at least 50 righteous, if there's at least 50 righteous people in the cities, God, would you at least spare the city for the righteous sake? And so now he begins to bargain with God. Have you ever gotten to a point where you really bargained and God listened? Most of the time, our bargaining doesn't end up working too well for us, does it? But yet here's Abraham interacting. And as he interacts, he goes down from 50 and he begins to go down and he goes down and he gets all the way down to 10. And God says, okay, if there are 10 righteous and Abraham's thinking he's pretty safe, hey, this is great. Lot... His family, his kids, there should be at least 10 people who are righteous in the city. And God says, I found none. I didn't find 10. I'm gonna destroy. So chapter 19, God destroys. He brings Lot out. His wife turns to a pillar of salt because she longs for and wants to go back. So here's what I wanna show you. God has done an incredible work with Abraham. And as God has done an incredible work already with Abraham, you get to chapter 20, and this is where it begins to blow your mind. If anybody should be trusting God at this point, don't you think Abraham should be trusting God? If anybody who had realized the power of God, don't you think Abraham should be saying, that's God, he's powerful, he can destroy cities with not even thinking about it, he can just do it. He's seen God work, and then in chapter 20, You hear this statement. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So here's what happened. So Abraham says, this is a small lie. It's not that big of a lie. It's not too bad. It's just a half truth. Have you ever told a half truth? You know, some of it's true, but you kind of manipulate the facts so it goes your way. So Abraham says, hey, my, my wife, she's good looking, she's hot. Man, everybody's gonna want you. And he tells his wife, hey, since everybody's gonna want to marry you, they're gonna kill me because you're so darn good looking. And since you're so good looking, everybody's gonna want to marry you. So would you just do, help me? I don't wanna die, so you're my own, just my sister. We're not gonna talk about being married. And so they go into this land. The king says, wow, that's a hot lady. That's Heath's interpretation, all right? It wasn't fully in there, but he says, okay, hey, I bring her in. And so they bring her in and here's what happens. There's a, there's a ceremony period. 
So typically what would happen is as a king would take um, the beautiful ladies and bring them into his harem, what he would do is this. There would be a, a purification process. The purification process would take anywhere from at least two months, six months, nine months to a year. And what they were really trying to make sure is that this lady is pure and that she's not pregnant by somebody else. All right, so they're wanting to make sure that before she becomes the king's wife. So there's a period of time where she is now in the king's harem. She's in the purification process, getting ready to be married. Now, ladies, can I just ask you a question? What do you think's going on in Sarah's mind? That jerk husband of mine, right? I mean, here she is. She knows she's in the process of becoming married, and now here it is. It wasn't just one day he told the lie. It wasn't just two days now Abraham, as he tells the lies, he's having to tell more lies to keep covering the lies. His wife is having to tell more lies to keep covering the lies. And here's what happens. As you tell more lies, you begin to distance yourself. You begin to see more distance between you and people, and you begin to see more distance between you and God. And you become more entangled. You begin to become more entangled the more lies you tell. So now you begin going week after week, month after month. And I'll show you in the text in just a moment. Not only does it go month after month, but now there's curses that begin to happen against the king and his family. Go all the way down to the end of the chapter. Let me show you the curse. Verse 17, actually go to 18. It says, for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So here's what happens. You tell a lie, you think it's not that big a deal. It now impacts other people. It creates distance with you and people. It creates distance between you and God. You become more entangled. As you become more entangled, then now you begin to see curses begin to happen. You begin to see God's hand removed from you and actually allowing now curses to come upon you and your life. Now watch. It impacted not only the king, but it impacted all the ladies in the household as well. No longer were they able to have kids. Now, guys, I just want to show you something. This is a small lie. This was a half truth. And this is where we become comfortable in our own lives. We become comfortable with a half truth, misrepresenting it so that we come out better. And so now the king, it comes time to, months have passed. Her purification time is over. And here's what the Bible says. The king actually calls and sends for her. And now it's time. And so what happens is in verse three, but God came to Abimelech the night before in a dream by night and said, behold, you're a dead man. Can you imagine having a dream like that? God waking you up. If you've ever had nightmares, holy cow. God showing up in your dream and says, you're dead if you touch that woman. You're dead because she's another man's wife. And here's what he says, verse four. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did not he himself say she is my sister? Did not she also say he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was me, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, do not touch her. Return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he's gonna pray for you. Now watch what happens. This is amazing. In the midst of the lie, in the midst of the entire thing, God is still protecting and God is still moving. You and I are gonna be tempted. We're gonna be tempted to lie in several different ways. Maybe we'll lie to others. 
And that's what Abraham does. He lies to others. Maybe you're going to be tempted to lie to God, to say you and God are actually okay when you know in your heart you're not right with God and you're just running from God and you're going to say, you know what, I go to church, I'm good. And you're going to, you're going to play the part as if you're okay, but you know deep in your heart you're okay in your lying to God. And then there's this other group and it's a person who lies to themselves. There was an old, uh, old uh, West Texas rancher Here's how he, he, he would put it as I was growing up. He, he would say this. He said, Heath, there are two kinds of liars. There's the honest liar who knows when he's lying. And there's the dishonest liar. The dishonest liar is the one you have to be worried about because they've lied so much to themselves that they actually begin to believe it. And here's what we have now. We've had time period now where, where Abraham has lied, has lied. And I'm asking the question. Here's my question. Abraham's a good man. He's a godly man. And if Abraham could be tempted to lie, then that means I could be tempted to lie. Track with me. What that also means is this. Anybody in this room could be tempted to lie. Why do you lie? Let me show you why Abraham lied. Abraham says this. The king comes to Abraham. He brings all the the people, verse eight. Abimelech brings all the people together. He tells them what happened. And so they go to Abraham, verse nine. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? Have I sinned against you? And And Abimelech said this, said to Abraham, why did you see this thing? Why did you do this to us? Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and that they would kill me because of my wife. He said, yeah, really, she is my half-sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And he said, I was scared. The reason Abraham told the lie is because he was afraid. Fear. Why do you tell lies? If you could drive deep into this in your own soul, you could begin begin to see yourself becoming free. If you could answer the question, why do you lie? Abraham lied because of fear. At the bottom, he, he really did not trust God to protect him. And this is the guy who just saw fire come down from heaven. Are you tracking with this? This blows my mind because there's so many people in here. You have, you have seen God do miraculous things in your heart and in your life and in your family's life. And yet you still sit back and you say, I can't trust God. And so the way in which you protect yourself is by telling lies because you're afraid of what would happen if you told the truth. You're afraid. And so you sit back and you don't tell the truth because you're afraid. I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I can trust God to protect me. So what you do is you try to protect yourself by telling a lie. Okay, maybe there's another reason. There could be another reason and the other reason would be acceptance. You lie Not for fear, but you lie because you want to be accepted. You lie because you want others to think good of you. You want their approval. So you just lie just just to help maybe make yourself look a little bit better. So you tell the stories about when you were in high school and how good you were on the football team or the basketball team. And you just expand those stories just a little bit because you want the acceptance of your kids or you want the acceptance of other people. I took my kids fishing on Friday and after, the, after school, we got out of school, so we went fishing on Friday and, and every fisherman is tempted with what? The big one, right? 
So we're in the, we're fishing this little pond and, and, and this, so they're, they're, they're dad, dad, I got one. And, and so they're reeling it in and then it gets off, right? Dad, you should have seen it. It was the biggest fish yet. And in their minds, it was big and, and they're wanting acceptance from me, right? Why do you, ex- why do you lie? Is it acceptance? Is it fear? Maybe, maybe for some, it's just easier. It's just easier to tell a lie. It's easier because you don't really want to get into an argument. It's easier because you don't really want to tell the truth. If you told the truth, now we have to have this long discussion, right? So we just don't want to tell the truth. It's just easier just to kind of halfway tell it, so we just kind of move on. It's easier. For some, it could be this reason. You tell a lie because it's just a habit. It's who you are. It's who you've become. You've told it since you were a kid. You've expanded stories and you just keep growing and nobody's really ever called you on it. So it just keeps going and going. And it's just a habit. You don't even realize how much you're telling the lies. When Abraham's confronted, he has a choice. He could have left his wife. (laughs) He could have said, well, nope, she really is. And he could have walked away still being afraid. At least at this point when he's confronted, he actually says, okay, guys, I'm busted You're right, she is my wife, and he gets it right. The bottom line is this, there's no one perfect in this room. So when we're confronted with a half-truth, when we're confronted with a lie, we have to humble ourselves enough to be willing to say, I'm sorry. Now watch. So we said that more lies equal more distance. Distance from people, distance from God. And then we said more lies, more distance, more entanglement, and it brings more curses, right? Now, let me show you what happens now. More truth. And as you begin to tell the truth, now watch what happens. I'm gonna keep reading here. So verse 14, then Abimelech took the sheep and he began, he gives them to, to Abraham, the, the male servants, female servants. He returns to Sarah and Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. You guys can go wherever you want. This is the king speaking to Sarah. He says, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. Before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed and God healed Abimelech, also his wife, the female slaves, so that they were able to bear children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech before, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, track with me. You ready? So here's what happens. When you begin to tell more truth, when you begin to live in truth, when you begin to go through that process, you now begin to, to move into, you begin to get closer to people. It brings you closer to people, and it brings you closer to God. And then it begins to do something that's amazing. In John chapter 8, it says this. Truth begins to set you free. It begins to free you from all the entanglements. It begins to free you and you begin to live in a new way. Now, the beauty of John chapter eight, when he talks about truth setting you free, he actually ties it back to, in the previous verse, to the word of God. And here's why. Because if you're just going after facts, then you'll miss Jesus. The truth that the Bible is going to point us to is to the capital T truth, which is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And when you begin to go after Jesus, when you begin to go after the word of God, and you begin to dive in there, what begins to happen is as you're going towards truth, you get closer to people, you get closer to God, 
And now what begins to happen is you begin to live free. And here's what you want. And here's what I want. You ready? I want to live in freedom. Why? Because it's the greatest way to live. When I'm not looking over my back, when I'm not scared of what I just said, when I don't have guilt about what I just lied about, when I'm not having to remember the little lie that I just told and how to get myself out of it, when I'm living free from all of those distractions, then what happens is this. It brings blessings on my life. This is where I want to live. I want the hand of God on my life and I want the hand of God on my ministry. I want the hand of God on my family. I want the hand of God on my kids. I want the hand of God on my wife. I want the hand of God on me. And the only way I get there is by going first towards truth, capital T, truth. First John chapter one says this, God is light and in him there's no darkness. If we who claim to follow Jesus Christ, right? If we claim to follow, to be in the light, but yet we walk in darkness, then we are telling lies. And the greatest thing that you can do towards yourself is this, is to claim that you're following Jesus Christ, to claim that you're going after Jesus Christ, but to continue to allow darkness to stay in your heart and in your soul. What you're doing is this, you're removing and you're creating distance with every lie and you're not walking in the light. And I want us, as a church, to be a people who go after the light, to go after the truth. And that's the capital T truth. You cannot break your habit of lying by just waking up in the morning and saying, it's time to break the habit. It won't work that way. Do you know how it breaks? You abide in the word. And as you go after the word and you go after the capital T, Jesus, truth. When you go after him, he begins to transform your heart so you no longer want that darkness and you go after him and it begins to break you of it. Because now the Holy Spirit's convicting and saying, you don't want this, you don't need this. And now I don't have to lie for security. Now I'm trusting Jesus to be my warrior king who fights for me and protects me. I don't have to go after acceptance and I don't have to tell the lies for the acceptance. Why? Because I know I am accepted in the king. I am his child. I am already accepted and I am his beloved. Does that make sense? I don't have to go after that. The truth is now setting me free. So here's where we want to end. Abraham was willing to get it right. Abimelech said, hey, I'm innocent. I want to prove I'm innocent. Get out of here with as many blessings as I can give you. God blessed Abimelech. God blessed the king, or Abraham. God blessed Sarah. I want blessings on you, and I want God's hand on you in his favor. And it starts with acknowledging, God, I've been telling lies to people, or God, I've been telling lies to you. God, I've been telling lies to myself. Will you please forgive me? And you start going after the truth. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, Here's what I want, I, more, I would love for you to know the love of Jesus Christ. While you were yet a sinner, while you were yet God's enemy, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He loves you and he wants to set you free. Stop running, stop pretending because being a church member, coming to church will not fix it for you. The only way is when you look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry, forgive me. And you give your life to him. If you haven't done that, today's the day. Why don't you ask for forgiveness, trust Jesus as your Savior, and you'll find freedom like you've never experienced.